Welcome to another episode of GER Cafe. I'm your host, Lainey Dixon. As I'm sure you saw, clicking on the title of this episode, we're talking day in the life. Getting into GER can be intimidating as it's often difficult to know what really games user researchers are doing on their day-to-day -day behind closed doors, which is in part due to NDAs. Uh, but with this new series of Day in the Life, I hope to share a bit more behind the scenes. So to kick this series off in today's episode, I'm joined by Tristan Carrero-Blanc and Gabrielle Moura, both of whom are Games User Research Analysts, actually on my team here at Ubisoft Montreal. They have a lot of great perspective to share in their experience of getting into games and their first years working as analysts in the domain, as well as their day-to-day. We have a lot to talk about, so grab your favorite drink and let's jump right into today's episode. Tristan, Gab, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hey. <laughs> very excited for today. Very excited to have two guests on. Um, yeah, first of all, please, Tristan, can you kick us off? Introduce yourself to yeah. our listeners. Yes. So, hi. Uh, Tristan, um, I've been uh, working essentially with Lainey for the past four years now. Uh, I come from a, a psychology background. I completed a bachelor's degree uh, there. And uh, from the moment I finished my bachelor's, I was already hooked on working in the video game industry. I had done a thesis on video games in the workplace. Uh, so, when I got the job, I was super happy. I started as a moderator. You didn't know that, that you did that. Your thesis was that. Yeah, I did a <laughs> thesis during my bachelor's degree on video games <laughs> and uh, how uh, they can help with recovery after a hard day of work. Uh, so that was really cool. Um, since uh, we've been working together, I did a year as a moderator or observer, depending on who you, you ask. And now I've been a user researcher for the past three years, almost three years. Thank you, Tristan. Gab, hi. Introduce yes. yourself. Hello, my name is Gabrielle. Um, I'm also a user researcher um, at Ubisoft. Um, I started working in video games about a year ago, uh, over a year ago um, at Ubisoft, um, but my background like uh, Tristan, um, I did uh, my bachelor's in psychology, did not do my thesis in video games. I did it um, in neuropharmacology on heroin addiction. <laughs> so quite different. <laughs> Um, and then I did a master's uh, in marketing. I did not know that I wanted to work in video games in the beginning. I just knew that I wanted to use psychology in a business context. Um, I've always loved video games. And when I saw the opportunity to work in user research in video games, I jumped on it. Um, so very happily in the past year and some, almost a year and a half now, um, we've yeah. been working together and I've I think that's pretty much it yeah, <laughs> on my end. Cool. Psychology bachelors of psychology <laughs> represent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining. I think this is what I hope to be the first in a series of kind of day in the life uh, kind of episodes. I think that I get a lot of questions personally. I have, I know, I wondered a lot before I got into the industry, what does it actually mean to be working as a user research analyst? Like, what does that look like? What are my day-to-day -day tasks? Because I think from a very like 
theoretical level, right? We all understand research, we understand the process, we understand kind of what that looks like, but then maybe taking that and mapping that into what does it actually mean to do that with games, uh, I think can sometimes feel a little bit difficult. Uh, and so really want to think about some questions that we get a lot uh, from students and those kind of looking to get into the industry about what the day-to-day -day looks like on the job. So I'm very excited to have both of you here, uh, two analysts on, on my team. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, and talking a little bit about uh, what you guys do. So I'm going to provide a little bit of relevant background for the listeners as we're kind of going to be doing maybe some different profiles with these day in the life episodes. but. For everyone listening, both of you work as embedded researchers. So we've talked about embedded researchers in the past. So these are ones that are working very directly with the production teams, both Tristan and Gab work and have worked with a variety of different productions, uh, but mostly uh, you're embedded, you're really working specifically with that one production, which does shape a lot your day to day, um, but this largely means that you do have that opportunity to dig a bit deeper into the relationships uh, and the research because of your proximity. As our offices are opening up again, you guys are able to be seated physically next to the designers, next to the decision makers. <laughs> They're dancing. They're excited. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> and I think I think that does shape you, like specifically for you two, that does shape a bit kind of, of what your day-to-day -day kind of looks like. So yeah, I want to talk a little bit about your, your jobs as analysts, uh, since the majority of your job really would be running research, uh, which seems logical, right? Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about like maybe what running a user test can look like when you're working as an embedded researcher. So with that, one of the most specific questions that pops up a lot is kind of how do you decide what are the most important aspects of UX to start with when testing? And I think this comes a lot from people that are thinking much more theoretical side of research, right? Is that there's a lot of interesting problem spaces, a lot of interesting questions to ask. And obviously, as researchers, we know that there are just so many important topics <laughs> to evaluate in the game development process. Uh, but when it comes to planning a test and deciding a focus, I think students are often or those kind of outside are off, often left wondering, like, how do you pr prioritize something if it's between menu UX and design of a mission or character design and environment design? Um, so. Tristan, I'm going to have you kick things off and talk a little bit about what the process can actually look like. And maybe when you're in those early planning stages, how you actually decide what and when to test. All right, so what and what, uh, when and what to test prioritization strategy. It's a, like you said, complex thing. Um, when I started, uh, it was the main thing that was on my mind. Uh, working with the team I was with. So um, it's very tempting to just say, oh, okay, I'm going to be testing this. I'm going to be putting that in the player's hands. I'm going to get feedback. I'm going to help the team. But essentially what I learned quickly is that um, your priorities have to be in line with the production's priorities and what is important for them to get insights or feedback on and what uh, can wait a little bit longer before providing that to them. So um, main thing to do with, as an embedded researcher when we're on the, the, the 
production itself. Main thing to or first thing to do is really get an understanding of what's your team's timeline. What what are they looking at? What's the amount of time they have to work on on the different features, the content, the game they're working on, and also at this and at each of those different steps, what is going to be their focus and what level of quality do you would like to have the each of those features at? So let's say you arrive on production very, very early and they're just um, brainstorming on different uh, concepts and designs and they just want to see if people like ha are interested in those kinds of designs, interested in those kinds of concepts. Usability might not be the thing you want to get uh, feedback on. So really focusing on what they need first and then planning out maybe further down the line what is going to be interesting and when. I think it's also interesting if thinking about like, okay, so you were saying like I arrive early on a production and they're working on a lot of different things. I think it can be very tempting to be like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. There's a lot of interesting things. And so finding that balance is always going to be really important. Uh, Gab, I know you had something to add. Yes, uh, so definitely super important uh, to consider the context of your production team and where they're at on in their timeline. Um, so usually we do right, ask them and try to understand what they need. But sometimes we can realize priorities based on previous tests, previous research, that certain things are important based on what we've seen players feedback have that might not be in the priorities vision or prior, um, the production team, sorry, vision or priorities at the moment. And so we can challenge it. Sometimes we can show them, look, these are the facts. These are what we're seeing. Uh, we definitely think that this should be addressed eventually in one of the tests. So we can have those conversations. So it's not always just coming from them, but it's always very important. It's not, uh, you know, academic research. It's kind of like you own the show. You decide what you're researching. You're like you have this vision, but here it's really a collaboration and you have to really take into consideration your stakeholders. Yeah, I like that you pointed out like it's a collaboration because I think that that is it's very easy to get lost in like, look at all these interesting topics. And like when we know that maybe something is a problem, right? Like you were saying, Gab, you can kind of come back and say like, OK, like maybe we've seen some issues in past tests and maybe we need to push like, hey, like maybe this isn't a priority for you right now, but maybe it should be. And we can kind of leverage that. And so I do think the, the key word is really kind of the the collaboration between the two. And I think being embedded allows you to leverage those relationships in a really meaningful and interesting way. Uh, I wanted to jump on uh, that subject. Uh, if you, if at some point you want to bring up uh, an option or an idea or a specific uh, piece of research that the productions should be interested in, it's very important to inform them on why it, it should be important to them and really 100%. make them understand uh, wh why putting some focus on this aspect of the game will benefit them further down the line. Uh, anyway. Yeah, and I think that's I think it's a big part of it because I think that it's it's very easy to fall into a trap of like, here's my findings, do things. And it's kind of making sure that it's, it is double checking and making sure that you're not getting to the phase of delivering a report and everyone's like, cool, 
because that never feels good. It never feels good when you've delivered something that you feel like I did a great job. I delivered really interesting findings. And then they're kind of just like, this isn't what we needed. It wasn't what we wanted right now. This doesn't help us with anything. And so you do kind of have to find that middle ground of like, maybe this is something, and I know I've had this conversation with both of you in the past of how do we leverage, hey, we know this is going to be a problem, but it wasn't necessarily something that the team asked us for initially and kind of navigating that space. And again, we've talked about it before on past podcast episodes, but communication is huge. And being able to kind of have that open communication with your collaborators and thinking through like, how how do we recognize what needs to be tested and and when and right and i think you guys really nailed it it's that it's it's a, it's often a conversation and sometimes it can be we've all been in situations everybody here uh where we said all right well we're actually going to do this research because we really know that it's going to be really important for you even though you can't really see it but like you said tristan it's being able to say like the context of why right and why is this something we feel that's going to help them take a decision or have comfort in validation of a decision and finding the balance between validating <laughs> right and being able to kind of help drive that decision making process really quickly i i think that every new researcher has fallen into that trap of going to the what would be interesting in providing and then being super proud of their report and then presenting it to have it met with oh okay well we don't really need that and like you said yeah. it's uh, it's uh let's say hurtful a little bit <laughs> putting all that effort for nothing in the end yeah i mean i think i think everybody here i think we can all agree that we've been in that situation right i think i know for me i've been in that situation when i was first getting started you feel very passionately about like i know that i should do this thing and i'm going to research that i'm going to deliver this findings and it's going to be amazing and they're going to like it's going to be the best thing ever um and so yeah it is being able to make sure that you're getting that context and i think it's a hard lesson <laughs> for a lot of people to learn when you're moving from a very kind of theoretical to more kind of the applied side of things. Obviously, there are other jobs and there are jobs within our lab that are very based on theoretical research, and that's the case for a lot of research teams. But it's finding that flexibility uh, when you're working embedded and you're kind of planning that can help you feel that you're delivering good work, right? Because I think it does fight that iteration black box of being able to say, we delivered something and they acted on it and I saw them and I saw it be able to come into action because that feels the most like rewarding thing when you're able to deliver for a decision that needs to be made. Because if you're just delivering interesting findings, but it's never insightful and in helping d drive a decision, it starts to feel really demotivating in your, in your job. And I think a lot of that does come back to kind of initially what you were both chatting about is kind of understanding the needs understanding the questions, what's our roadmap, what's our priorities? Yeah, I would like to add to that actually, um, because we're talking a lot about actionability, um, which makes me think about the fact that, you know, how we ask and how we communicate is very important here. So we could ask them, what do you want to like in the sense like what data do you want so they could be like okay we want to know how much they're dying and we want to know how much you know they say they like the game but it's like really we need to understand more so what decisions do they need to be making because they can tell us they want this data but we're not always aligned on what how to interpret data 
you know, yes. so for them, what death means versus for us, what the death of your character means, you know, like what we can infer from that, what we can understand from the, about their experience various. So it's not about asking them, OK, what do you want? It's really more about like what what decisions do you need to make? What are your timelines? What's what's going on? Like uh, where are you at in your process and what needs to be figured out now? Uh, instead of just asking them what data they want. I think that's a very important yeah. nuance when we want to make sure everything's actionable. Yeah, and it's the difference between like I'm data driven versus I'm data informed Yeah, and making sure that you're not just selecting data that's like doesn't provide the context, right? We see this all the time where everyone's like, oh, we want the telemetry data. We want the tracking data. And it's like, this is wonderful. And this is an amazing tool, an amazing asset that we'll be able to bring in our research, but it can't be that alone. And so being able to kind of tie in and again, yeah, understanding when they ask like, oh, well, we want to know how many times the player died right here. Is that really what they needed to know or was that the question and we kind of have to work backwards from that to be able to derive what the actual question is and maybe it's do they understand where they're supposed to go so they're dying because they can't actually advance is it because they didn't understand the enemy they weren't able to locate them right it's like there's a whole host of actually specific research questions and so that needs gathering process is so important to kind of work your way kind of almost backwards from that so proud of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to move to the next question because it's it's kind of the next steps, right? So talking about the needs gathering process, which is super important, always something I'm chatting about with all of you and our entire team is really making sure we're communicating, understanding the needs, understanding the timeline, because it also shapes when and how we deliver. Um, but Let's talk about, okay, you've established the needs, you understand what the objectives, you understand when you're going to be running this test. Gab, can you share a bit about kind of the lead up to a test, right? So you've already have something planned on the calendar, but like when does preparation begin? What does that preparation process typically look like for you? So um, when the preparation begins will definitely depend on the complexity of a test. Um, and also just the timeline, right? Because sometimes you may be having tests back to back because again, we're in a business context. Things can be moving much faster than an academic contest. We need uh, we need answers quickly, right? So for, I'm going to say a typical, you know, uh, let's say a usability test. That's pretty simple. We can start maybe just a few weeks before. Um, we start by, so we know high level what they want. To, to know. And so then we talk uh, to the specific designers um, who worked on the different uh, features that we might be studying to get a deep understanding of what the feature is, what is their design intention? So what should the how should the feature be experienced by the player? Um, and also what are their hypotheses? Do they have any ideas of things that might be going wrong? Um, so we, we get really a good idea of like what is the actual game content uh, that we will be testing, but also, okay, what decisions do you need to be making about these features? Are you thinking between two different things? Are you wondering, like, is it, you know, like uh, overpowered or like, you know, what are the decisions that you need to be making? Is it more like the visual design, the balancing, you know, like really just understanding where we're at and where they need to go and what's missing to get there. Um, so basically, once we've done that process, that can take quite a while depending, you know, like usually it's uh, iterative. So you'll have your first meeting. Sometimes it's a feature you're not familiar with at all. And so you have to go through the design documents and you think you have everything you need to know. <laughs> then you have to call you them never back. Do. Like, yeah. 
<laughs> you're like, hey, so I thought I had everything, but I didn't. So it's really important to be comfortable asking questions, right? You can't know what you don't know until the gap appears. I think that's um, so key, though, and I'm going to stay on that for a second because I think it's just it's staying curious. And I say this to to everyone who's like, oh, the needs gathering process is very daunting and this and that. It's just user research. It's just your users are different. Your user in your audience is your designers and you're asking questions. You're using the same techniques that you would use in the test room on the design floor. And you have to be very comfortable in asking questions. And it's unrealistic to expect that you know the ins and outs of every single feature that you're about to test. And that's okay. Like nobody expects you to be perfect. Exactly. So yeah, definitely. Uh... I put my phone on silent. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely like feel free to ask questions. No one does expect you to know everything. Like it's uh, um, not realistic because games can be very complex. They might seem simple on the outside, but there's so many moving parts, you know, like uh, so you really try to get that understanding as much as possible. Once you get that understanding of what needs to be um, answered, then you start writing up your high level research objectives, followed by um, there's sub of research questions that make that research objective and we usually also afterwards speak to the team again just to confirm like because it's really important here to align on expectations we want to make sure that they know what answers they're going to be getting and that those are the answers um, they want right so we're not talking here about how you're getting the answers we're talking about what questions overall you will be answering um, in the reports for example so once we all agree on that, we can start working on the methods. So we decide like based on what we're studying, what's the best method of, to get the results. We also need to keep in mind. So right during the needs gathering, we'll also get a vision of like, when do you need these answers? Because that yep. can impact the methods. So if yeah. we need to be really quick, we're not going to do a diary study. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> so depending on how quickly they need the, the results, we also uh, modify as much as possible the methods. Um, depending on where we're at in production, we might do just an internal test, right, with people that work in the company um, and not with uh, external participants, which can also be faster. So, you know, there's a lot of context uh, specific things that will tell you like, how you're going to run the research, but then there's also like, OK, the research questions will also guide you in determining what methods uh, would be the most appropriate to find those answers. So you make the design of the test, you work on the tools. Usually by tools, I mean, you know, anything that you're creating to get feedback from players, whether it's interviews, surveys, you know, anything like that. And then you we usually try to ha have a few people look at that because uh, these documents were you know, when you're writing something, it obviously it makes sense. You have all this context and all this knowledge about the game and you're like, yeah, this is so obvious. And then you give it to someone. They're like, what is this question? <laughs> so really it's um, we, we collaborate as much as possible to give each other feedback on these things as quickly as possible. And uh, once we've like validated all of that, we prepare. Oh, I didn't mention recruitment, but you know, like there's so many moving pieces like yeah. we, we have checklists because there's so much, especially, you know, like I, I recommend having a list of what you need to do because there's so much going on and then you're collaborating with a lot of people that need different information from you. Plus you're doing your own stuff on the side. So it's like you really need to keep track of a lot of things. 
So there's yeah. like preparing the recruitment. Tristan, I don't know if there's some stuff I forgot you want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> you have pretty much explained a lot of what we do for the preparation of a test. Um, but like you were saying just at the end about recruitment, like there are so many things to do and also so many people to talk with. Uh, during preparation, you were talking about getting informed about the design. Well, we talk to designers, we talk to directors. Uh, sometimes uh, there are project managers or project uh, owners into that that also have their questions that also have their concerns their uh, doubts challenges and it's all this uh, it's discussing about all of them like trying to really identify what they need like you were saying to make those decisions and uh, what kind of uh, insights they need right now um moreover like for everything that you explained that was like uh, directly what we as researchers have to do like we have to communicate and coordinate with other people like moderators or observers or recruiters like uh, you were mentioning um coordinators on their side they have to see if they have the resources if they have the time if it comes into conflict with another test that is uh, or another um piece of research that is planned uh, at the at, a, at the lab at the studio um and then it's constant back and forth with all of these people, uh, tech coordinators also making sure that the builds are readily installed, that everything is working, there's no connectivity issues. Um, a lot of back and forth is essentially what I was trying to get to with multiple different people. And <laughs> even when everything, all that is done, they're still like you have to go back to designers, the directors, so on and so forth. It's a lot of managing expectations. It's a lot of ensuring that people have what they need. And I think, too, keeping into consideration kind of our lab structure and kind of, you know, you were saying, like, got to make sure it doesn't clash with another test that's on the schedule. Like, we're we're covering a lot of different productions. Like the two of you, you work with different teams. We have a lot of researchers that are working on a lot of different projects and we're all kind of coordinating that. We have coordinators, thank God, thank the coordinators that are able to <laughs> manage a lot of that. And so, yeah, I mean, imagine if you didn't have all of these people trying to go through all of those steps. Um, obviously it creates extra kind of work for you all to coordinate when you do have the the moderators um, or as well as coordinators. Thank goodness we have tech coordinators and people on our side, because obviously in the world of remote testing, we've had to adapt a lot of kind of how we actually do the research with the players. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people are often surprised at the level of kind of like project management or like coordination there is. It's not just like, I'm doing research every day and it's beautiful. It's like, yeah, of course, that's super exciting <laughs> and it is a big part of it, but there is also managing the expectations of those that are assisting you with the research making sure they understand what you're trying to do again going back to your stakeholders making sure like did i understand your needs correctly we've had a lot of conversations i've looked at the content do you do what i'm proposing to give to you at this point like is that helpful and sometimes between that initial conversation and that conversation they're like actually we need it the results in like two days not two weeks and you're like oh okay <laughs> yeah let me just completely change everything no problem so the test is prepped right there's obviously a lot of a lot of things that we need to prepare uh, but i think something that's kind of interesting is all right, you've done a lot of the coordination, you've done a lot of the management. 
What does running a test look like? What kind of help do you have? Who are you working with? What are you kind of doing when that test is happening? Tristan, what can you what can you provide me some insights on that? Uh, so running a test. Um, again, uh, I think it's pretty in line with the previous step of preparation where there's still a lot of communication coordination with different people. Um, so on one end, there are communications and coordinations with the coordination team, uh, since they're the ones managing uh, the participants, making sure that they're there on time, that everybody's up to date, they have the file, the documents they need. Uh, coordinating with the moderators uh, that are going to be running uh, the test, making sure that everything's working on their end, they have everything they need. Uh, especially at the beginning of a test, uh, the first day is always the most stressful one. Uh, everything can break at the last minute, so up until that moment, stress and anxiety is at its peak, and then Even after then. the first hour, I usually after the first hour. It goes, Even it after goes like back. three years, you're just like, oh God, please work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, especially uh, if you're working, if you change productions uh, ever, like regularly like I, I did uh, you never know like what kind of new issues can arrive uh, can arise with the new production so maybe on the last one a specific thing uh, was problematic on the first day well maybe this new one that specific thing is not going to be a problem but something else so always have to be uh, adapting uh, on the fly uh, for running user tests um, other than coordination I think that a major part of what we do is um well uh, except looking at the test and making sure that everything's running well um is starting to look at different kinds of data that you can already um get your hands on uh, gab i don't know if you you want to start talking about the like running a test <laughs> actually what is that analysis what <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah so i think I definitely agree with everything you said, as usual. Um, but uh, I, for me, it's like out of all the parts of the test, when the test is actually running and is running smoothly, I always feel like that's when I'm most at ease. Like, let's say there hasn't been any problems, like everything's working, the build's working, all the participants showed up, there's no issues. That is the calm moment where you're just like, I just rushed to get everything ready. After this, I'm going to be rushing to get things analyzed. So this is the part where I'm like slowly trying to get a sense of like the players, uh, the, as you said, the data. Um, now when things uh, don't go well, <laughs> it's a lot of troubleshooting. Um, as you're, you were saying, you know, uh, issues with builds and that from production to production because the builds are made differently. Um, you know, like we'll have different problems, but what's good about staying on a production for a while, or if you know people who have been on that production, it's always important to know like, okay, when we see these issues that are known issues, how do we fix them? What are the like either cheats or, you know, like uh, just different techniques? Is it just like a restart and everything's fixed? Like what's the process you, you, you kind of prepare yourself for that, uh, or you, you hopefully prepare yourself for that. Not always. <laughs> um, and sometimes you just gotta like drop everything and your focus is 
on fixing um, anything, something that's broken. And that's really, again, collaboration, staying, you know, like even if you're analyzing and things are going smoothly, keeping an eye on what's happening, just checking in from time to time, um, having a like designated person to contact you. So it's like, because sometimes, you know, there's a lot of chatter just like, oh, this player did this, you know, this, like, I don't know. But it's like, you want to be able to focus on the right stuff. And so like having a process like, okay, if I'm going to be on mute, you need me, tag me like so there's there's ways of doing that and you learn what works for you um with time but yeah like uh basically either everything's chill and i'm analyzing as much as i can before the test ends because sometimes also things might we might realize like oh i was not expecting this i should probably ask about this before the test ends so you can pivot right like so you have to be very um adaptable yeah. like it can be very scary and stressful at first because especially for someone like me who, who likes to have everything like planned and like this is how it's going to be and one two three and like that's how it's going to go like and then it's like nope that's not real but life I think, but i think that's such an important thing to add because i know that you you brought up that was something that was challenging <laughs> but i think it, it's something that's very challenging for a lot of people coming in is being able to embrace the uncertainty of not being able to expect every single thing sometimes like you both mentioned there are build there there is a build or a certain production where like known issues right as so we just immediately we launch the build we enter some cheats we're able to kind of carry on with our day sometimes things just implode and we can't anticipate it and i think one of the hallmarks of kind of more experienced and good researchers is being able to embrace the fact that like okay shit's gonna go bad how do i manage to still deliver insights how do i pivot how can i remain flexible how do i adapt and can i so it's basically trying to find that kind of happy medium of like, do I just cancel? Do I just like completely abandon ship and say, all right, we can't do anything with this? Or how do I kind of adjust, right? And I think that that's where you, it's very challenging for you as an analyst because you have to be keeping an eye on all of these different things and also being able to think on the fly of, okay, that thing didn't work means I can't answer this objective. What do I do? Can I do something? Okay. Okay, everybody tell your players to go do this thing instead, or we're going to add this question later, or you know what, never mind, we're not going to go fight that boss, go do something else. Like, everybody hurry, get out of that area, and you're like trying to kind of orchestrate everything. And I think that's a really important piece of the role of being able to say, things didn't go according to plan, how do I still deliver something meaningful? And sometimes it's hey, sorry, team, we we weren't able to to get what you needed because the, the build didn't work or we weren't able to meet the objectives. But more often it's, all right, that thing didn't work and we're going to follow up next time on that. But what we can tell you is this. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to, to say like this talk is bringing back so many memories from like me three years ago uh, from the most the more challenging aspects but also the more um enjoyable elements like i had completely forgotten also it shows that it has been a very long time that i've done an external test but yeah what you were saying that that moment of peace when everything is rolling eh, i got a flashback and i was like that is so true and everything is just running smoothly there's a moment where you just ah, this is nice and you just between that stress of coordination and starting it to analyze, there's always that period of like, 
I want to see what's happening in my test. And then looking at the players running around, trying stuff out, completing the tutorials. And that's really enjoyable. But also, like you were saying, Lainey, we have to stay uh, adapt adaptable. Yeah, we have to adapt to the situations that we're in. Uh, sometimes, like the stress of do I cancel a meeting, uh, not a meeting, a test or not, um, that has happened in the past. And early me struggled a lot with that. Um, really understanding. I think, I think what it's can difficult I do. for a lot of newcomers to be able to problem solve in that capacity because it's it's so stressful because you feel like you failed. Mm, yes, and especially when you can't change the or you can't like use this test to, as an opportunity to get feedback or insights on another aspect of the game that wasn't planned. That's even more uh, the word you said earlier was like demotivating. Uh, so yeah, uh, really want to hit on that. I'd like to add like I think a big part of like so you know, like sometimes things will break. Let's say like the game, everything works normally in the game, but it just keeps crashing every 30 minutes. We will expect players to be frustrated and pissed off. Okay. Cause it's like every 30 minutes they're like, ah, oh, I was doing something, it crashed. Like, so there are ways for us to consider like the impact. It's like, we think like, okay, so this is, let's say I'm studying um, difficulty, right? Like, will this crash be impacting difficulty? Depending on the game, it might not, right? So it's like, all right, is like my main focus impacted? If so, how much? Like, is it just a little bit impacted where I'm like, okay, you know, like uh, people's like appreciation of the game is going to be worse because they're frustrated. And we can actually plan to ask players, like, how much do you think this contributed? Like, if you're not considering, you know, the fact that the build was not stable or whatnot, um, do you still feel so you can, you know, work around certain things, but sometimes like if the main focus is like, do they like the design and like all the colors are out of whack, then you're like, okay, I should probably <laughs> cancel this, you know? Yeah, but I think it's important, right? to be able to think and you have to really know your objectives. And this is when it really comes back to like, I always, I was really, I'm a stickler for the needs gathering. I'm a stickler for the prep, you know, because I think it's being able to identify like very quickly how much of an impact is this going to have on those objectives? Can I still deliver on something? What are my priorities? If you know the priority level of the different objectives you have and like prio four is being impacted, you can just abandon and just say, you know what, we're just not going to do that because we're still getting those primary core pieces that the team needs. And or you're just like, all right, well, we're going to try and go ahead anyways. And like you said, Maybe we'll ask them some questions. We'll try and work around it, right? It's like not everything's going to be perfectly controlled and scientific, but sometimes we just have to act on our feet a little bit and still be able to get some feedback. Yeah, I would add to that just quickly. Uh, disclaimers. Use disclaimers when you think something has been impacted. Just write in your study like, look, these are the things that happened. We had these issues. We think it impacted the results in this way. Um, and that's fair, right? Yeah. Yeah, being able to just to say like, hey, so, you know, the game didn't behave as we all expected it to. And so, you know, how do we still work around that? And a lot of the times it's we're still delivering those findings and we're checking them all again in the future, right? Because we're not just going to run some disaster one time and just be like, hey, here's your findings. We're going to move. It's that what we can say based on what we had, here is some findings. 
you know, 99% of the time we're going to say, hey, we recommend once things are stable and once we can address these problems that came up, we want to reevaluate. And then we're going to use those, those findings as our hypotheses running into the next test. And we've already kind of got that prep ready, right? And so that's usually when you end up in back-to-back -back test situations is you're just kind of one thing to the next. Here's our findings. We've addressed it. We're going to the next thing. So you both mentioned kind of analysis, right? Because obviously like test week or test times, whether it's a couple of days, a few weeks, a month, whatever, depending on the type of test, there's obviously a period of analyzing, which is a nice quiet time where you can sit and analyze and think about things. Um, I want to talk a little bit about reporting. Um, kind of, all right, you gathered the needs, you've run the test, you've analyzed. What do we do with this information? You know, what is the what does a reporting process look like or kind of how do you go about giving those findings back to your stakeholders? Uh, Gab, thoughts? Yes, so reporting. Um, reporting can be a stressful uh, process, especially when you're new, uh, right? Because it's like a lot of data and you might be tempted to report everything. Don't do it. <laughs> Honestly, uh, usually. Thank you. <laughs> I think we've all had that conversation at <laughs> yes. some point with someone. <laughs> someone who? What? Not me. Uh, but yeah, I think it's like, you know, we tend to like hold on to this idea of like the more I give, the more likely like you probably want all the information. But you know, like uh, designers, like their whole job isn't like reading our reports. So they have a lot going on. We want to give them uh, the main things that they need to know and digestible uh, like pieces. So like we're going to focus on the main priorities, make sure that all those priorities are answered. It doesn't mean like, you know, like let's say the question is, do people like the game? Maybe I don't have to say all the things that people like about the game in my answer. I can give like people said they like the game. The main reasons why people liked it was this, this and this. Let's say, right, for example, um, no need to talk about everything. We just have to actually answer the priority question with the priority information. So like really thinking about like, what do people need to know? Not everything that is there. Um, now there's also besides the priorities, the research priorities, we have the pain points or big problems that showed up that we were not expecting. Those also should be all like included in the report because they're, they can be blockers for the game just because we didn't expect them and we didn't agree to talk about them. Doesn't mean it shouldn't go in there. So we have like, always make sure you have your priority objectives answered and any major things that came up that you weren't expecting. Now, sometimes there's a lot more interesting stuff in those reports. It doesn't mean you got to scrap it because you're not presenting it initially. Um, usually what I would do is like I present because, you know, like you're presenting, it's usually a pretty big group. So it, it also depends who you're presenting to. That's going to help you tailor the amount of detail you might want to go into. But usually the first presentation is like with all the stakeholders. So it's not a specific design team, for example, that need that level of detail. And so like you do the general presentation, you answer the main things, and then you can have a follow up call with the specific lead designers or designers that are working on a specific feature to give them more detail. Like, OK, I found this really interesting stuff about, uh, you know, the weapons of this game. 
and like let's have a follow-up conversation because I think that could help you in the future when you need to make decisions just to have that context of what people were saying. It wasn't something that we determined was a priority, but it came up spontaneously and it can help them. So, you know, like if the time allows, right, because sometimes depending, you could be super busy, but like if you have the time, taking those, uh, taking that time to talk to the, um, your, the designers, the people working on the specific features not only helps them get a better understanding of how people are reacting, but it helps you form relationships and help your collaboration process, you know, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a it's a big collaboration and we want to we want to make sure that we're giving people what they need and that it helps foster trust and just makes everything easier moving on moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> Did yeah, I, I say you. everything? <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Because I'm, I'm going to make sure we're, we're getting to the other questions before we run out of time. But I think to kind of summarize what you were saying, Gab, it's there's not one formula, right? There's not one format of like, I'm going to write my report in this format every single time. Maybe depending on the audience, if we're delivering information to VPs or whatever, obviously, like we've got a specific format and a specific template. But if you're writing, if you're doing a diary study or a usability study or a card sorting task, like there's going to be flexibility there and again i think that's probably one of the important themes that we've discussed right is being flexible <laughs> and being able to identify what information they need and being able to say hey we're going to chat about these specific topics but i'm going to give more context in the written format maybe that's on a internal wiki page or a powerpoint presentation an email whatever um being able to kind of cater that uh, conversation. I think I'm gonna have we're 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 having a, a podcast episode very soon about reporting. So I'm gonna push forward to the next question because I want to discuss uh, the other stuff that that you all do, right? Um, obviously, working on tests, running specific pieces of research, running a usability test. There's there's a lot to that, but obviously, like you're not doing that every single day, um, and so. When you're maybe not actively working on a test, it's prepping, planning, running. What other types of projects or tasks could you be working on? Just kind of giving people an idea of, yeah, okay, what does the day in the life look like when maybe I'm not running research? Tristan. Yeah. Um, so uh, when you're not running research, there's a couple of things you can do and you should do. Uh, the one I really like is following up on different subjects uh, uh, that you might not have had the time to follow up on, whether they be discussions that the productions are having right now, whether it be the results of a previous uh, report that you have given, seeing where the team ha are at now, what are the choices they've made, and seeing how you can further support their uh, the, the different design teams or the different features that are still being iterated on or discussed. Um, that's something that I really find it interesting to do. And it really, like again, was saying, fosters that kind of uh, collaboration and uh, relationships with the designers, the directors, and people of the prod. Yeah, do you have some um, additional ideas? Um, I think what we can also do is uh, something I've really enjoyed doing is working on like best practices, so kind of working on documentation that can serve to just improve the research process across, you know, um, the whole lab. So it's like how to best make surveys like, OK, so I did this diary study and this is what I learned. I'm going to present it to everybody like, please don't do this. 
probably do this, right? So there's, you know, like, um, it's just like improving our expertise through collaboration. Again, big word, but like research is all about collaboration. We can't do yeah. things alone. Um, and just like, how can we improve? So it's like, we're, we're constantly doing tests and we're learning things, but if we're not sharing that knowledge, then, you know, we're not helping each other. So there's that that we can do. And also like in line of with what you were saying, like sometimes we can even go back and look at like, okay, so let's say this game has been in development for two years. What are the main takeaways? Like maybe just kind of doing a meta-analysis of everything we know about the game. How are people feeling about it? You know, or even like, look, similar games that have this type of effect and this is what people really like about them, you know, and just kind of, Knowledge sharing, knowledge creation is just the thing that I think as researchers is something that interests us, like, you know, searching for stuff, uh, presenting them, explaining them. Um, so I think that uh, there's so much that we can do that's kind of research adjacent, um, either with the production or with the lab members, you know, our like our coworkers, where we can really just uh, improve things overall. Yeah. No, I think and I think that's super important and like a really interesting thing, right? Because you can kind of have that like downtime. Like I know, Gab, you were kind of transitioning in between productions for a little bit. So you were working a lot on documentation. You were helping me build training documentation for, for newcomers to our team. And I think there's, you know, just also having the opportunity to reflect back from yourself what you learned and share that with your colleagues, because we are in a very fortunate situation where we're, we're a rather large team and we have a lot of people working solo or working in duos on a lot of different productions and we can knowledge share we can spend time we try and spend time as a team every every couple of weeks to share what everybody's working on and people can get feedback and obviously it's it your mileage may vary depending on your your team size but of course what's really nice for us is that we do have that opportunity because we have a big lab, we have a big research team. We've got a lot of qualitative researchers, right? Our team of just user research, qualitative user research analysts is 12. Uh, and so we do have a lot of people that we can talk to and share and everybody's working on different things. And so I think it's, it's cool to be able to also have that opportunity and yeah, building relationships, collaborations with people, because I think that we are only as successful as as good as those collaborations and relationships are if we're if we're not putting the time into building those then i think sometimes that can lead to a lot of frustration as as a researcher when you feel like you can't communicate well with them or you're not necessarily aware of some of the struggles that they're facing it can it can have a again it's demotivating when you feel like oh i did really great research and it's not inherently a bad piece of research it's just not what they needed and that feels awful and it just never it never stops feeling awful when you deliver something that you're really proud of that you did something and you were able to overcome the disasters and the chaos of a test and delivering something that maybe it wasn't what they needed and so yeah spending that time and uh, being able to kind of learn more of the questions and you know work with people to be able to see like okay maybe it's not a test it's a meta review or something like that there's something I would like to add. Um, this is obviously <laughs> very, um, I realized we didn't mention this and I'm like, oh, actually we didn't talk about this, but in our industry, like we should also spend some time playing games. Even yep. if it's not the games <laughs> that we make, you know, but like know your product, right? Like no, like yep. you don't have to like all the game styles. For example, I worked on a game that I, I would never 
successfully play that type of game in my life. Thank God for cheats. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like um, so basically, you know, but it's like, get to know, like, when you play, what is it about the game that works for you? Like, it helps you to connect um, one yeah. with like uh, the player, but also to kind of get an understanding of like, okay, when I'm struggling a game, how do I act on screen, for example, right? Like, so it's just like, it gives you a bit more context and it just, you know, like you also learn more about like, what's the consensus right now. So let's say, for example, a tutorial, what was a good tutorial 20 years ago and what's a good tutorial today? Very different things. Yeah, no, so, Knowing like where things are at, what the, the standards are also helps us to get an idea of what people expect. So it just gives us extra context. So during your work hours, please play video games. <laughs> Public like service announcements. I feel like maybe I've said this before. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Quoting Lainey. <laughs> but, but I think it's a really good point, right? I think it goes right. a long way with the production that you're working on or competitors, right? I remember playing a lot of, I worked on Siege, that's no surprise, and playing a lot of time, spending a lot of time playing other shooters, playing, investigating, watching streams, watching YouTube videos, trying to understand, you know, like, sitting reading reddit like trying to understand what's going on and what people think and that can be uh, another a whole other probably podcast episode talking about other ways of leveraging feedback and information from players and bringing that into our research but yeah it, it is an, as an important piece so we're, we're running out of time i apologize we've been chatting for a while but i have one final question for both of you you're you're a few years in both of you well gab you're about a year and a half in close enough um there's a lot of people that are students those trying to get into the industry that listen to this lovely podcast of ours and they want to know you know like how do i what does this position look like and what what should i know right and i think I would like for you to to think on what advice you might be able to provide to newcomers, either uh, just in that are students or maybe those that are trying to get into roles like yours. So I'll go first. <laughs> I know you can me, to answer this question yes, the entire yeah. time. <laughs> for me, it's a no brainer um, from personal experience. So basically, I think especially when you're not from the industry, right? Um, let's say like I had done research in a lot of different areas before. Uh, like academic context, possibly. Yes, mostly academic context, yes. And what happened when I started is that because I felt so unsure, I felt like there was so much I didn't know. Like, what do you, what's the most important thing to look at in a video game, right? Like, uh, what are the, like uh, metrics, we know what, what what behavior means what, like you don't, you're kind of new to everything, and no matter how much you've played, because I've played a lot of games in my life, but it's just like, how do I analyze this? And so you might be tempted to measure everything. So my biggest, I think the best advice is that don't let your uncertainty force you to like measure everything and keep your scope manageable. You'll be doing yourself a favor. Spend maybe more time speaking, you know, to the people that work on the game who have maybe researchers who have done previous research or um, whether it be uh, the, the production team themselves. Understand like what the metrics are and don't measure all of them. You know, pick some. Like I, I learned the hard way that, you know, to feel like you're more in control, you might want to cover all the bases. 
And that's just going to make you drown in data and make you do way too much overtime to analyze <laughs> all the data you hoarded. Here today. Having to sit and watch you uh, make decisions and let you kind of ruminate in them for a bit. <laughs> yes. I had to learn the hard way because I was very adamant that we needed all of this. I was like, no all of these things like I was like let's say we're measuring difficulty I was measuring everything you could possibly measure about difficulty because I didn't know what mattered more so I was like but I'll have it and that way I can just look at everything and then I'll know but actually it's even more confusing because like sometimes things contradict each other and then which one is real right yeah <laughs> and like, so I think it's a very big step right and I know that was something that took you a bit to overcome you, you have certainly done that, uh, but I think it, it's difficult when you come from a more uh, academic or kind of theoretical background. There are a lot of strengths in that application of research, and it can often be a surprise for a lot of people when they come in and it's like, hey, actually, I need you to measure this and I need to know what the output is tomorrow. And you can't possibly measure every single facet of difficulty. And again, yeah, it's understanding what it is actually their question. And a lot of that times it means what is the decision that needs to be made? Or I know this was something that came up for me on Siege all the time. They would ask questions, but the game didn't always facilitate a way in which to fix that. So we had to really cater the type of feedback we were giving based on the levers that we knew were in the game. Because And sometimes it felt very strange because we were like only asking certain facets. And so we were really kind of trying to triangulate all of this data, but being able to say like, yeah, if you change that thing, that's probably going to help us address this issue. And for a while, like it's easy to get stuck in this uncertainty feels very difficult because you want to control everything. Spoiler, you cannot try. <laughs> Gab, Gab gave it a good try many times, but we... <laughs> mm -hmm. I remember. I finally let go. <laughs> but I, I, think that, I think that's a good lesson because I do think that it is, it is very surprising, right? I remember feeling like, oh, oh, wait hold on, I need to run really fast and I need to make decisions. And sometimes sometimes you have the luxury of doing that, right? There are instances where we have pieces of research that are able to look more at the theoretical basis of a lot of these questions and challenges. It's just not always the reality in every situation and every production and depending on what you're doing and it's understanding that. Tristan, I'm curious as to what your, your piece of advice yeah, so twofold. Uh, first piece of advice would be if you're hesitating to get into the industry, just do it. You don't have anything to lose. <laughs> try it out. All um, right, there it, you go. <laughs> it, for for me, it took uh, two CV sends and uh, a waiting time of twenty days. So you can you can do it. Believe in yourself, and that's the first step. The second step. Um, is a little bit contradictory because uh, my piece of advice would be if you can take your time and I said I know that this is contradictory because I have one speed and it's go. Um, this, is, but, this is very true. <laughs> <laughs> but if 
you're a new user researcher on a production uh, or just in the video game industry, it goes along with everything we've said since the beginning of, the talk, uh, of this talk. Just take your time. Take your time uh, playing games. Take your time understanding the game you're working on. Taking time to discuss with the designers, directors. What are, what are they working on? What are their intentions? Instead of being like any researcher jumping at feet first and like, let's do research. No, just breathe. Get acquire the knowledge you need to to get to do your job as best as possible and then start running research once you have acquired everything that you need. If you can, of course, like you were saying, sometimes you just you have to run. There's a there's a sprint, there's a marathon you have to run. You got to do it. But as soon as you have time, just breathe and acquire that knowledge. I think it'll make the research much more pleasant when you do get there as well, when you do have the opportunity to kind of communicate and learn and work with your stakeholders in meaningful ways, because you'll be able to feel like you delivered a piece of research that people will care about and can act on and can move forward with. So thank you very much. I, I appreciate your perspective. It's, uh, I think there was a lot of, I think we chatted about a lot of interesting things and I think we probably could have kept going for quite some time and touch on a lot of other topics that we had initially said we wanted to talk about. <laughs> so maybe we'll have a little bit of a part two, depending on um, if people have some follow-up questions for us after the episode and we'll see if we can come back and kind of tackle some more topics. But thank you both for for taking the time uh it's been it's been nice to chat with you and it's uh i think this will be really helpful for for people to get a little bit of an understanding so thank you for taking time out of your busy day i know you both have got things going on uh to to chat and share share your learnings with everybody so thanks again thank you for having us yes thanks so much great and uh thank you so much and we will see you all on the next one bye ciao <laughs>